0: everyone, and welcome back to Kids Under Construction. I'm Donna Tetro. We are talking resilience today. We recorded this episode before our world was turned upside down due to COVID-19, but right now is one of the best times to talk about resilience, how to grow resilience, and kick coronavirus in the ass. Studies show when people go through very difficult life experiences, they can actually emerge stronger and more resilient, And did you know that self-compassion is one way to achieve a greater sense of resilience? Please listen in and grab any nuggets you can to take this situation and upend it. We're building resilience in our kids, in ourselves, as parents, and in our families. We got this. So let's get started. I have two amazing guests today to share their expertise. They are also moms. Lisa Sugarman lives just north of Boston. She's an author, a columnist, a speaker, and a radio talk show host. Lisa writes the nationally syndicated opinion column, It Is What It Is, and is the author of How to Raise Perfectly Imperfect Kids and Be Okay With It, Real Tips and Strategies for Parents of Today's Gen Z Kids. Lisa, I am ecstatic to have you here. Lisa is also a very good friend. She has been one of my personal cheerleaders as I've navigated my work as an author. My parenting book is coming soon. I can't wait. Lisa, Lisa, you know how special you are to me. And as we talk resilience, your positivity and our relationship has been extremely meaningful. And those two elements that you've shown me are really at the forefront of teaching and building resilience, right?
1: Right. Absolutely. And I am just as thrilled to be here. And I'm just ecstatic for you and and all the amazing things that are happening in your world right now that I know all about that I'm thrilled about. And I'm just happy to be here so we can dive in and and talk about it all. Thanks
0: so much, Lisa. So I want to start off with asking you to share with um, our listeners, what does resilience mean to you?
1: I I really think it's kind of that textbook definition almost of just being able to pick yourself up when you either hit the ground face first or someone, you know, swipes the knee. I think it's the ability to just get up and keep moving forward regardless of what's going on around you. Um, even, even if your attitude isn't, isn't a thousand percent positive. It's it's knowing how to navigate those feelings and and find a workaround and push past whatever it is that's in your way and keep going and and learn from that and and maybe not fall quite as far or quite as hard the next time around.
0: Yeah, no, I I feel the same way and I love that. And I I think that to right now, the culture that we're living in is this helicopter parenting, which really is kind of a deterrent to building resilience.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's 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 parents who are hovering so so close above their child's head that th- their kids aren't really capable of doing anything on their own because their parents are micromanaging every move that they make and and there there's no ability to grow there. There's no ability to create autonomy there and it's it's almost the same same scenario with a bulldozer parent or with a lawnmower parent where all, all all of these best intentions of making sure your your kid is successful and is is strong and empowered is is working almost in reverse it, they're they're undermining all of those efforts by doing it all for their kids and their kids have no idea how to do it for themselves
0: yeah and i mean the title of your latest book how to raise perfectly imperfect kids and be okay with it really speaks to this, which I really love. And it really breaks down how it's okay if you're not perfect. It's okay if you can't fix this right this minute, give yourself some space. So what I want to ask you, of course, your kid is your kid and your kid comes into this world, um, who they are, but there's a lot that parents can do in shape. And so that's what I want to talk to you about, or how can we really build this resilience? And so how does growing a positive mindset, how does that translate into building this resilient being?
1: You know, honestly, I I think that's our greatest tool. That's our greatest asset, Not, not just as parents teaching that to our kids, but as human beings in general. And, and, bringing that idea and philosophy of living into your daily life. I, you know, everything that I write about whether it's I write a, a column as well, whether I'm writing in a column or I'm writing in a book or I'm speaking about it, everything has the same central theme and it's that life just is not a straight line and we're not perfect not supposed to be perfect, we'll never be perfect even on our best day and and I think that's the overarching message that we need to send to our kids as parents that no one's perfect and that that's okay, that we're not designed to be. And it's, and it's a myth. If, if people are walking around thinking they need to be the, the, you know, the perfect son or the perfect daughter or the perfect employee or the perfect varsity lacrosse player, it's not, it's not happening. So why are we putting all of our effort into ensuring perfection when we can't get there. You know, we're, we're all fallible and we all make mistakes and do dumb things and make bad decisions, but that's part of the learning curve. And it's, and it's the attitude that we adopt along the way that allows us to, to pick and choose how these setbacks or failures or bumps are going to affect us. And and it's that attitude alone that makes the difference, I think, between being a kid who can navigate through, a, you know, a, a less than perfect situation, a bad day at school, didn't get the job, didn't, didn't make the team. I think, I think that is the thing that we need to, to work on with our kids the most, explaining to them that they do have control and it's over their attitude. And once they harness it, it's like sky's the limit.
0: How would you explain this to parents in a story, say? Say, you know, a kid comes home from school and they get a B and they're really upset about it. They want the A. Not every kid wants the A, but there are kids who say, I want that A and I got the B and they're really down and they're hard on themselves. And how do you, what do you go through? What are the, what are the motions you go through with your kid instead of saying, oh, it's okay. Just try harder next time. Or, oh, don't worry about it. Not a big deal. Or, oh, I can't believe you didn't get an A or just kind of ignore it. Or like, how do you build that resilience in that moment, that teachable moment? What are the steps?
1: I, you know, I, I I think the steps are probably very different for everyone in every situation in every family unit, but I can speak to my own. That's most of what I do is, is speak pretty anecdotally about my own two daughters. And I've absolutely been in the thick of that exact situation a thousand times with my kids where, you know, they came home with that grade and, and it's really a matter of sitting down and having an honest conversation and saying, what did you do to get that grade? Did you, you know, did you, did you put in the time and effort that you, that you know you needed to? Did you take advantage of things that were offered to you? Maybe like a study group, maybe like after hours with your, you know, with your professor or with your teacher or with a tutor and, and kind of deconstruct the whole situation and say, you know, where, where do you think things may have derailed? And, you know, we definitely don't want to say just, you know, do a better job next time. That's an incredibly open-ended comment. And okay. it doesn't really serve, I think it doesn't really serve anybody well because it can go in a thousand different directions or nowhere at all. I think, I think you have to drill down and say, the first question, did you did you work for this? It, you know, if you obviously if you got an A, you worked for it. If you know, if you got a B or a C or a D or you flunked it all together. There, well, you know, there's obviously a reason and it's identifying what that reason is and, and then finding the workaround and whether that means, you know, working with someone who knows the material better, like a friend or, or going in and talking to your teacher and, um, you know, or maybe it's a different study method. You know, maybe you're not, you're not a cue card person, you know, an index card person. Maybe, maybe there are online tools that are, are better suited for you. Maybe you're more visual So, I mean, there are so many different things that you can do, but I I think they are just as in control of learning from it and moving forward and ensuring that the next time around, it's a different outcome. You know, it's an, an A outcome or a better outcome. And what I'm
0: hearing from you that's resonating for me and may resonate for other parents who are listening to this is that two things is that you're saying you're asking questions, open-ended questions that are then leading to problem solving for the child instead of mom or dad solving the problem and saying, this is what you need to do. It sounds like what you're saying is, well, what do you need to do? Do you need more study time? Is this the right learning for you? Does there's like lots of, lots of questions and you've got to hear them. That's what's resonating for me.
1: Yeah, it, it, that's absolutely absolutely true. And and there's one other thing that's that's mixed in there that I really didn't touch on. It, we in asking these questions, there's one question, and and this transcends the grade on a test or a paper or, um, you know, and any any of those typical things that happen. It, it it's a question that we can ask that has an impact on everything. What can I do for you? How can I help you? It's not how can I do it for you. It's not let me go bust down the door of your teacher's room and (laughs) give them hell. How dare they give my kid that grade? (laughs) We know, we know those parents. It's, it's not about that. It's about asking your kid, what, what can I do? How can I help? And, you know, that puts it back on them because then that causes them to do some critical thinking and they're saying, oh, well, maybe you could quiz me or, um, Maybe you could help me research or, I mean, there are a thousand different ways, but it causes your child to then think, okay, well, what did I need that I maybe didn't have that caused this outcome? And then you take that whole, what can I do for you? You take it out of this scenario and you drop it into every other scenario as a parent. And, and that's been a huge, hugely positive tool in my own parenting that I wish I had found earlier. Okay. I love it. It it really kind of changes the game a little bit. Um, you know, everybody everybody wants to be able to help. Everybody loves to be to be asked, "How can I help you?" And I think it's it's a disarming kind of a question that really sets you up to really understand what a person needs and I know it's been pretty effective with both of my girls when I turn around and ask them something like that because then they're more willing to have a conversation about what that thing might be that I can do.
0: Well and I and I love that when you're saying how can I help you it's it's directed to that particular person. What can I do to help you? And there's a lot of empathy in that Is there an example that you could speak to on resilience building that you can share with um, us that you've dealt with with your girls?
1: Sure. Um, There are thousands and (laughs) thousands, I think. Um, I mean, one of the ones that really comes to mind, it it was definitely um, kind of a long term resiliency build, I guess is the best way to say it. it. It was not an overnight thing. It was with my oldest daughter when she was making that transition from middle school up to high school. And she was agonizing over wanting to play a sport. She knew she wanted to be involved on a team. She had tried cross country when she was in middle school and, you know, was, was definitely, you know, middle, lower end of the pack and was pretty intimidated. And wasn't really sure if she should go for it in high school, for all the obvious reasons, like, you know, you don't want to be last. You don't want to be, um, you don't want to be out of your comfort zone too far because that, that feels gross and that's uncomfortable. And, you know, we talked about it and she decided to, to try and run over the summer. And, you know, my husband and I are, are runners. So we, we would help her and, and train with her and work with her. And she got to high school and, and she ended up deciding to try cost, And she ended up, yeah, You know, same thing, middle of the pack in the very beginning, but loving the environment and being really inspired by the people that were around her. And I'll never forget the first week of high school. She came back and we, you know, talking about classes and talking about everything. And then the conversation landed on sports. And she said, You know, I've been doing this now for like a week and it's so hard, but I am, I'm loving it. I'm loving these people. I'm loving the way I'm feeling about being pushed. And I really feel like I, I I want to be the captain of this team someday like I really I I am so drawn to this and inspired by it and she just kept running and she just kept working and year after year, faster and faster and faster and um, stayed with it all four years in high school. And, you know, ultimately had that opportunity to go for it senior year and, you know, ended up as the captain of a cross country team as a kid who was, you know, when she first walked in the door was running like a 10 and a half minute mile. And, and, and it was life-changing for her because she realized that she could take that that drive and kind of that fortitude and, and that, that resiliency to work through the, the hard parts, the painful parts, the discouraging parts when she did finish last and make something from that and come back faster and stronger when she did.
0: And I love that story. I mean, it really is a beautiful story, especially when you look at the statistics of a third of kids give up their passion or a sport or an extracurricular at age 13 because they're not at the top or they don't think that they're good enough. And so to me, that is a beautiful example of how to build that resilience and keep your kid out of that statistic. Because I, you know, I have my two boys going into middle school soon and, you know, they want to play sports. So, you know... Just keep going, keep going.
1: Right. Give them right. the space. And, and and what I think a lot of parents forget is that it's about the sport. It's about the the not the win, not the loss. It's about being a part of something bigger than yourself. It's about, it's about the ability to play lacrosse or to play soccer or, you know, to play on the baseball team, to to just enjoy the sport that you're playing and, and how to work together and collaborate and be a unit and and all, all the things, the thousands of things that are so powerful about being part of a team. And it's, and it's just so sad when it's so diluted by parents who put such insane pressure on their kids to be at that, you know, at that top level that it, it no longer becomes a joy. And, uh, I feel for those kids. I really do, because those are the ones that are burning out and that, that are quitting and, um, you know, that can't, they can't cope with that pressure and it, it affects everything. So, um, I, we we we've never cared if our kid was varsity, JV, sitting on the bench, didn't make a difference. Just just be part of it and enjoy it for what it is. Yeah,
0: I love that message, Lisa. And I could talk to you forever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Don't we usually do that? We though? usually is do do
0: right? that. Um, but I want to ask you, because we're running out of time, is there anything that you might want to leave with listeners that we haven't talked about that might be important that you think? Just a message to give to parents.
1: Yeah, I I think I think we really just need to model for our kids all of these things that we're trying to instill in our kids. You know, we we need to be the ones that are the resilient ones, so that they're seeing that and they're understanding what that looks like and sounds like, and and that it's possible. And I, I think. I think along with that we we need to remind our kids and this is the key that that your attitude is your attitude. You get to be the one to make that choice of how you respond to what people or the world around you give to you. And it's a very powerful tool when when we use it the right way because it it allows us to kind of cancel out all, all the white noise around us that may not be positive and we can kind of stay our own course. So, uh, I would say just, just make sure that you practice what you preach and, and that will allow your kids to practice it themselves.
0: Okay. Well, thank you, my friend, Lisa Sugarman. It has been so amazing to talk to you. Tell us where people can find you.
1: I am all over the place. Uh, they can find me uh, wherever wherever they sell books, um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, IndieBound, all of the major booksellers. You can find me uh, on my website at lisasugarman.com for sure, or through my publisher, familias.com. And um, I'm also uh, on the radio on North Shore 104.9. FM out of Boston every Sunday at eleven thirty. Congratulations on, on that!
0: Thank you, thank you. It's <laughs> a
1: brand new show that uh, I'm doing with my contributing author and I, uh, Deborah Gansenberg. We we do a show called Life Unfiltered that talks about parenthood and uh, kind of all that, perfectly imperfectness. So you can find me all over the place and on Instagram. We're on Instagram. And on Instagram, yep, Lisa underscore Sugarman. All right, cool.
0: Well, thank you, my friend. I will talk to you soon.
1: Wonderful. Thanks really for appreciate me, you being here. Oh, I appreciate the ask.
0: My next guest today is Leilani Sinclair. She is an associate marriage and family therapist in Los Angeles. In Leilani's practice, she sees teens, couples, and families and often works with parents to navigate divorce, family conflict, and custody disputes. She was a supervisor at TeenLine, a suicide prevention hotline for teens who call or text from around the country. Leilani, I am so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me on. It's Absolutely. A so, I want to build on what we talked about with Lisa Sugarman and, and extend it out into your work. The single most common factor for children who develop resilience is at least one stable and committed relationship with a supportive parent, caregiver, or other adult. So, Leilani, what do these relationships provide? So, Really, the relationship of a child
2: with a parent establishes an environment of safety in the world. So in order for the child to have the environment and to develop the skills they need into adulthood is to feel safe and to be able to establish trust and build connection.
0: So how do you do that in everyday life? How do you establish trust? Can you give us an
2: example sure so the simplest way would be when a parent says they're going to pick up a child from school they're going to pick up that child from school and then on the say 12th time when they're going to pick up their child from school and they're a little late it's repairing that explaining what happened and repairing that and then showing consistency Moving on. So it is that trust and it's also consistency. But number one, it's really the ability to, for the child to know that they can predict the responses and the receptivity of a parent. So that safety is really at the core. When trust isn't a basic experience of a child. They will, rather than wire their brain for connection, it will become wired more for protections.
0: What's interesting too about this is that when we speak about resilience and the safety of a child, it's pretty challenging in this day and age with technology and creating that safe space I mean, that is the reality um,
2: that I think is important to appreciate as parents raising our children in this world is they are growing up in uh, environments and rooms and a, a world that we don't always have access to. Right. So the key is to develop in the times when they are present and they are in our midst to be present with them in teaching them. That when something that they're exposed to on the Internet, say, or being snubbed by a kid not tagged is when is that they're going to come to us and we're going to try and understand what that means and not rush to a solution, but so that they can try to share that world with us. But that is really a reality um, is that we want to stay as connected to them as possible, because when we're not with them, we need them to carry us with them. Into those places.
0: So then, when we're talking about fostering those relationships and how important that is, it really ties into if you're creating this safe environment for them to come and talk to you, then when they are outside, whether it's out in the real world or outside in technology in that world, that they are able to trust you and say, okay, I'm going to go talk to mom or dad. Exactly. Because ultimately,
2: you know, we, we want them to trust us. And then eventually, right, as they go into development and they learn that, you know, it is appropriate for them to be come onto their own. We want them to ultimately trust themselves. And that's what we're teaching them. When there is difficulty, when something happens, that they're going to come to us. Now, key from our side of the street is then we have to be able to receive that information. And that, as a parent, is a real challenge, if we're really speaking frankly, about how we are going to be able to receive, you know, the anxiety and their fears, and maybe their reactions that are going to come with, you know, what they're facing. And, and of course, we're going to want to fix it for them. Um, That's a completely natural response. But Really, like when we get back to this resilience, right, we want to cull from them their own inner strength, right? So we want to ask the questions so that they can understand what is going on for them in their world. Long before we go to, OK, how are we going to fix this or how are you going to fix this is what's going on for you? Um, And the question on the parent side is, how can I tolerate this? Right. Because when I'm going to solution it's because I don't want my Child to experience the feeling excluded. That's very painful. You know, a lot of times we're experiencing their feelings right along with them, or maybe we're even experiencing something two times more intense. But really, it's that as they develop, we're trying to teach them that they have the inner strength inside them and the support around them to get through everything and ultimately that they're going to be okay. So when they come to us, we have to remember that we're okay with them in whatever kind of reaction they're having or experience and sit down and be curious and explore with them and then problem solve
0: with them often leading the way. So what I'm hearing from you is that we've got to be okay with them going through potential pitfalls knowing that that's part of life, we've got to feel okay about that. And then we've got to really come to them with questions instead of fixing it, which is something we touched on with Lisa Sugarman. And then really moving into the problem-solving area. What I'm wondering from you is this, though, has to start very early on. This can't be like, okay, let's start talking to my teen now now. If you haven't provided this safe space very early on, then you're kind of backing yourself into a corner because you're starting from zero when they really need to start talking to you as tweens and teens. Sure. I mean, that work starts right
2: away, frankly, when they're born. The most important thing for brain development is learning predictability, being able to predict that when I have a need, my parent is going to meet that need, whether it be changing or eating or sleeping. So all of that stuff starts right away. And also like as babies, before they learn language, they learn so much about themselves through a parent. So for instance, When a mother experiences joy and pleasure, the baby experiences joy and pleasure, there is no, in the first year of life, there is no separation that the baby can even conceive of between a mother and them. So also, as a mother becomes anxious and distraught, the baby feels anxious and distraught, right? So right away, there is this incredible emotional intelligence that a child has. So... The key is for a parent throughout the childhood to be curious about what is happening for that child and also for themselves. What is happening for me when my baby seems like she is, you know, desperately calling for me?
0: I absolutely love this. And it sounds a lot like Dr. Wayne Dyer's work and what he talked about is really trying to explain to the child and to the parent, that what's inside is what matters and how to create a world inside that can kind of ride the waves of life and what the environment is presenting or other people and being able to be settled. And it's so interesting to me because I love when you talk about the fact that parents have to have that strength inside as well. Because our kids are seeing our nervousness, our anxiety, our lack of understanding or our thoughts of lack. And so can you talk a little bit more about that, how parents can really look inside of themselves? This is a lot of work that I personally am mindful of Mm -hmm. and how my views affect my child.
2: Yeah, and... Really, I think that for me, that's really the key is, for instance, when I work with families, I like to work with parents because, as you said, when we started off the interview, like the the parent is the one that that, that connection needs to be tended to because a parent's anxiety, you know, it's not just the way that we think, like the way that we feel is felt at a cellular level by our children. And that is, you know, that is their first experience of reality in the world. And so we need to teach them, first of all, that they're okay by being okay. And then eventually we want them to, and they'll be able to see that they're okay no matter
0: what. And what I really love about what you're talking about, the self-compassion angle is that I think if a child can learn self-compassion early on, that really changes the trajectory of their life, their thought process. I think to myself, a lot of the times when I've been hard on myself and thought, wow, if I had learned to be able to say, stop, get off the roller coaster, you're okay inside internally and show some self-compassion to myself, a situation can be a lot less difficult. Not that you're not going to feel it and go through the motions of it, but that it's more manageable. Wait for them to come to you with the situation
2: and be able to point out, there may be some mistakes made, but be able to point out the how they got through it, what their strengths are.
0: So it's almost like there's this big pot of resilience and there's so many lessons in it. For Um, both the parent and the child,
2: I would say. And it is, it is a lifelong process and it doesn't have to be done perfectly. It is like every day is an opportunity to teach resilience to your child.
0: It's never really too late to start with this resilience building. So say, you know, I'm listening to this as a parent say, oh, I haven't been practicing this at all. Right. It's never too late. We can grow this just like we can grow empathy, right? A A thousand percent. Absolutely.
2: Is your child doesn't need you regarding the past your child need you today to be curious about your experience and what that child needs in that day.
0: You're amazing. You are oh, unbelievably you. smart and insightful, and we are so grateful to have you on this podcast, Leilani. Oh, thank we you for definitely having want me. you back. Absolutely. And your questions are
2: amazing. This is a great topic.
0: Thank you, Leilani. Thank you I really for appreciate having you. Me. This is wonderful. Thank you so much to both of my guests. And to wrap things up, resilience is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties, a toughness or grit. Our kids will face challenges, but I hope today you can see they can recover if you adopt some of these important tools we've talked about. Use your skills as a parent to teach problem solving. Let kids do for themselves when they can. Help them learn to advocate for themselves. Mistakes are okay, being imperfect is perfect as lisa sugarman says and most importantly build a strong emotional connection with your kids that's the fun part that's all for now hope to have you back on the next kids under construction thanks for listening everyone and remember grow that resilience now this is our time to work on what we can work on be compassionate to yourself your kids and to your significant other Please download and subscribe to Kids Under Construction.
1: We will get through this together. Until next time.